The key truth that Paul is driving home here is that living with Christ makes us live for Christ. That's the key truth. Living with Christ makes us live for Christ. Now this year, we've had the blessing of celebrating two weddings, right? Right? He has been like waiting for buses, right? London buses, sorry, Grant. <laughs> right? You wait for one forever, right? And then two come along. <laughs> That's what happens. Why do people get married? Well, to share life together, isn't it? That is what marriage is. It is a union of two souls, isn't it? Two become one flesh or one body. They are one body without the man and woman losing their individuality. The question is, they are still one body. So how does the human body work? Well, each body part lives for the other parts. In the same way, God, in the same way that God, God has designed marriage as a, a union in which we live for the other person, isn't it? Now, I know marriages don't always work out like that, right? But that is actually what marriage is meant to be. A union where we live to serve the other person. And that is why marriage is a wonderful picture of our spiritual union with Christ. When a person accepts that they are a sinner against God, and they repent of their sin, and they trust in the death of Christ to save them from sin and hell, what happens is that God forgives us of our sins, past, present, and future. And at that moment, he adopts us into his family. We become his precious child forever. But there is something else that happens. God gives us a brand new heart or a new nature that loves God now. And then what about that is he unites that new nature with Christ. Right? We enter an eternal spiritual union with Christ our God. And all the blessings of Christ now becomes our blessings, right? Because we are now share oneness. We are one with him forever. Our union with Christ means that Christ now completely loves us. He completely accepts us. He completely delights in us eternally as his very own. Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. Christ, our eternal husband, will never divorce us. We will always be loved and cared for by Christ. And a time is coming when we shall live with Christ in his full glory. At present, even though we share life with Christ, we do not see the full eternal weight of our blessings in Christ. That will come when Christ appears. And we'll say a bit more about that in the evening. Now here is a crucial point. Our eternal spiritual union with Christ is not a license to sin. It does not mean we can just live the way we like to live. It's quite the opposite. Because we are united to Christ, right? Because we can never lose our life with Christ, our union with Christ now drives us on, doesn't it? It drives us to live for Christ. Because you see, we have that new nature. And there's that drive now to live for Christ. And this is the key truth Paul wants us to understand in verse 1 to 2. Those who are united with Christ, who share life with Christ, live for Christ in practice. Let's leave that again. If then you have been raised with Christ, he says, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, we know from chapter 1 that Paul doesn't have any doubts that the Colossians belong to Christ. He speaks of their faith, their hope, their love. He speaks of how the gospel has come to them, changed them. That's why in chapter 1. In fact, in verse 12, he's going to say, they are holy, beloved, chosen, you say. He has no doubt about them. So when we read the phrase, if then, it should be read as therefore, in light of what I've said in previous verses. Paul is saying to the Colossians and us, because you share life with Christ, you must now live this out by seeking to live for Christ in practice. Because, if then, because you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. When Paul says, seek the things that are above, notice the comma, sit, the comma there, where Christ is, right? Do you notice that? Seek the things that are above, comma, where Christ is. The comma is important, actually. It's in the, it's in the grammatical construction of the original. It is not in the first instance saying, focus your mind on heavenly things. No, the focus here of Paul is on who is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Christ doing in heaven? He is sat at the right hand of God. What does that mean that he is sat at the right hand of God? Well, it doesn't mean that Christ is physically sitting. Right? Like, God is over here, Christ is over there. No, that's not what it means. God and Christ are not two different beings. God is one essence. Of course, three persons, but one essence. In the Bible, the right hand of God is a metaphor of power and authority of God. Paul is saying Christ is God who is ruling over all things as one of us. That's important. We already know that God rules and reigns over all things. The point Paul is making here is that Christ is God as our mediator. Christ is 100% God and 100% man. And so Paul is saying to us, Christ has risen from, the de- from death ascended into heaven and is now reigning with power with you and for you. Christ is your man. You are sharing new life with Christ. You are now risen from death with Christ. You are now sat in heaven with Christ. So then he says, so in light of that, live for Christ now as his people in practice. There is no excuse for you to look to yourself or this world. You have all the glory, all the power you need in Christ. So keep living for Christ, not for this world. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You know, the original word for seek is very interesting. It is in the present tense here. And it means keep seeking. Paul knows that they've been seeking Christ already, they're living for Christ. But he's saying, keep seeking. Be continuously occupied with living for Christ. Set your desires, your affections continuously on Christ. Keep longing for things that promote the rule and the glory of Christ over your life and this world. And in verse 2, he goes further, doesn't it? Look at verse 2. He says, set your minds on things that are above, 
not on things that are on earth. Don't miss that phrase. Set your mind. In the original, it means have this as your inner disposition. Paul is saying, concentrate your energy on what concerns Christ. Don't just say, I'm living for Christ. You must show it in practice by giving your heart to things that are above. Not the passing things of this world. What are the things that are above? I believe these are the things Paul talks about from verse 12 all the way to chapter 4, verse 6. We'll go through these things. But these things are things that reflect our new life with Christ. So, for example, with verse 12 to verse 19, we can say Paul is saying, concentrate your energy on living your new life with Christ as a life that shows you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Become obsessed with growing in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Become obsessed with having humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, thankfulness in your heart. With verse 18 to 19 in mind, Paul is saying to wives in this room, let the thought of being submissive to your husband skyrocket in your thinking every day. He is saying to husbands here, with verse 19 in mind, your life and thought must be sought out with love for your wife every day. That's living for things that are bad. Don't be harsh with them. Be passionate about being kind and full of humility to them. You are dead to the ashness, he says. With verse 20 to 21 in mind, Paul is saying to young people here, each day make it a priority to obey your parents. Make it your priority to obey your father in heaven. By obeying your parents on earth. He's saying to fathers in this room, focus your mind on how best to raise your kids. And of course, mothers, if you're single parents. Focus on raising them in a way that will encourage them in Christ. Don't drive them to despair. Point them to Jesus. With verse 22 to chapter 4, verse 1 in mind, Paul is saying to employees in places of work, focus your energy on growing in doing your work as one working for Christ, not for man. He's saying to employers or those, or those, or those managers here, he says, make it your passion to treat your workers fairly because your master Christ is reigning in heaven. And we can go on, can't we? We'll look at these issues in more detail. The point I'm trying to make is that we've got to read those when we come to them in light of verse 1 to 2. Because the point, the point Paul is making verse 1 to 2 is that we show we are living for Christ by living passionately for these things because we are passionate about Christ. Now the question for you this morning, for all of us this morning, is very simple. Do you see any evidence in your life that you are living passionately for Christ? Can you say honestly as you sit here today that your passion in life is to live for Christ? We all know what it means to have a passion or a drive for something, don't we? Our former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, I think we would all agree, is passionate about being Prime Minister, isn't he? Let's talk of a comeback down the line. He drives him. He's always dreamt as a boy be prime minister and uh, three years is not enough. Leon Messi is passionate about his football. 
The musician Adele is passionate about us singing. Tyson Fury is passionate about his boxing. You get the idea what passion is? Being driven to live for something. These people are, are driven to live for earthly things. Their hearts and minds are driven to live for their hobbies and interests. And that's what Paul is getting at here in terms of Christ, our life for Christ. Do you have a drive for Christ? Do you have a passion to live for Christ? Be honest before God. Have you ever had a passion to live for Christ? Now, some of you know deep down the answer is no. It's simple no. You know in your heart you've never had any real passion to live for Christ. You know that living for Christ does not excite you really, if you're honest. Living for Christ feels like a burden often to you. You like things of this world. It's what you live for. You have no problem with adding Christ to your life as an extra. You have no problem with that. But you can't really say Christ is my passion. Or I have ever had Christ as my passion. As my drive. You can't say it is what consumes you. And the reason for that is... This might shock you, but the reason you can say that, that you've never had that, is because you're not yet a true Christian. You're not yet a true Christian. You attend church, yes, but you're not in spiritual union with Christ. The Holy Spirit does not yet live in you. You may be a member, you may be baptized, but that's a fact. At this moment, the reality is you are without the God who created you. A life without God is an early death. It has no peace or hope. It lacks purpose and direction. You see, you are made to live for God. This is why God created you. This is the reason you exist. It is the only reason you exist, to share life with God. A piano is useless unless a pianist, our beloved pianist, plays on it. That's when we know we've got a piano here. There is no value in the piano just being there, being used for many different kinds of things, decoration, and so forth. That's not what it was meant for. In the same way, God made you to share life with him. But you do not have God in your life. So your life now is alone, Meaningless, empty, and futile. But it is worse than that. You are currently covered in your sins. And under the wrath and judgment of God. And when you die, you will perish in hell forever. But the good news of the Bible is that God is not cheering any of us to hell. God loves you deeply. And he breaks his heart that you, his creature, has rebelled against him. So God, out of his love, has now come in Christ to deliver you from hell and sin. Christ has come to die on that cross for your sins. To save you for himself. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the wages we have earned from God for our sin. It's death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. All of us are going to hell when we die if we don't repent. 
that Christ came on a mission to die in your place, to suffer the punishment of God for your sin on that cross. So that you do not have to be punished in hell forever. That's why Christ died, friend. Christ did not die for himself. He died to pay the full price of your sin. He died to make you live with him. Christ died so that when you truly admit today you are a sinner and truly repent of your sin and surrender your life to him, God will save you this moment. Today, right now. If you cry out to God and say, Lord, I have no life with you. I am a sinner. I see that I cannot save myself. I recognize that I've never had a drive to live for you. And I now know why I don't, I've never had a drive to live for you. It's because I am lost and wallowing in my sin. I admit that all my life I've only lived for me, really. I need you to forgive my sin. Lord, I repent of my sin. I surrender to you. I'm trusting only in the death. I want to live with you. Please save me now. Well, if you truly surrender to God like that, you really mean it, God will forgive your sin. You will now live with Christ, and this drive that I'm talking about will be in you now. You have a real drive. Because conversion is a real thing. It's a new nature that comes in. And you have this new passion to live for Christ. So go to Christ today. Don't wait for this sermon to end. Repent right now. Don't delay. Turn to Christ. Become a true Christian. And start truly living for Christ. Now for some of you, when I ask that question, do you have a passion for Christ? Your honest answer is yes. You are truly seeking to live for Christ. You know that your life is not perfect. You know that. You know there are many areas where you still struggle with sin. And yet it is still true that every day you are looking to him. And you have the scars in your life to prove it. Following Christ has made your marriage more difficult. But you are pressing on. It has made your parenting, your teenagers, painful. But you're pressing on, looking to Christ. It has lost you, friends at work, but you're pressing on, looking to Christ. It is costing you a lot of money, but you're pressing on, giving for the advancement of the kingdom. You could be heading places in your career if you decided to compromise your faith, but you're not. You're suffering the cost even there for Christ. And yes, there are moments when living for Christ is so painful that you have sometimes wondered to yourself for a moment, is this all worth it? And in those moments, God has given you the strength to answer, yes, Christ is worth it. My sacrifice for him is infinitely less than his sacrifice for me. And so you're pressing on. Every day you're growing in asking Christ, how do I grow to honor you? I'm not saying it's always like that. There are weapons along the way, but the trajectory is every day is upwards, isn't it? Looking to Christ. Every day you're growing in Christ. You're asking, how do I honor you? How do I grow in my devotional life with you? 
And you ask him, Lord, help me to share you with my friends. You are growing in dying to self in relationships. Instead of retaliating, you are growing in choosing forgiveness. Instead of self-focus and, and always looking to yourself, you are looking to others. You are asking, how can I show love to my enemies? How can I serve those who are weak? Who needs a hospital visit? Who needs encouraging? Who can I give more to, to make their life different in this cost of living crisis we're living in? I'm not saying you do all of these things, but you can see some of the things in there. That is your life, isn't it? You're not doing this to go to heaven. You're doing this as an outflow of your love for Christ. Because Christ has changed you, you see. So you're now living for him. Yes, the drive sometimes is not as strong as it should be, but it is there. You see something of it there. And every day your sacrifice for Christ is growing. Is that, is that you today, this morning? Well, I just want to say this passage is here to encourage you. Seek present tense. Continue seeking. Continue living for Christ in whatever situation you're in. In whatever situation God has placed you in. Live for Christ no matter the cost. Keep seeking to live for Christ in the middle of a difficult family relationship. Even a church relationship. Keep living for him in that thankless job or in that tough business situation. Don't give in to the temptation to live as a Christian in their only. Keep surrendering to Christ because growing in Christ is what? Growing in surrender, isn't it? Keep reminding yourself that you're doing this for Christ to make his rule visible on earth. Keep reminding yourself that that is the core of the Christian life. You are living the true Christian life. You are sharing life with Christ. And that includes sharing in his suffering. It means taking up the cross and following him. Remember, remember, those who abandon themselves to God will never be abandoned by God. Will never be abandoned by God. So have this motto in your life. I have no will. I have no will except the will of God. That should be your motto. I have no will in my life except the will of God. So if the answer is yes, I said to you, keep on living for Christ. Finally, I am conscious when I asked, do you have a passion for Christ? Some of you probably answered, I used to. It's not there now. I used to. I used to have a passion to live for Christ. Christ was once my everything. You're saying. But now as I sit here, I know in my heart, my heart has grown cold. Other things in my life have become my passion. I have other things that drives me. Perhaps it's your spouse. Perhaps it's your children you're living for. Perhaps it's your career. Perhaps you, it's social mobility. You have left your home country. You've come here and you're thinking, the focus surely must be to get to the top. And that has become your drive. Perhaps it's just a love of sin. A love of sin. You know that sin in your life. You know what it is. 
The bottom line is, friend, brother, sister, the bottom line is you have backslidden. Oh, I plead with you, beloved, this morning. Come back to Christ. Come back to him. Stop shaming the name of your Savior. Stop deluding yourself in sin. Oh, friend, what can this world really offer you that your prince, our Lord Jesus Christ, that died on that cross for you, has not already given you? Immortality, it is already yours in Christ. Peace that surpasses understanding, you have it. You have it in Christ. Glory, you have a new heavens and a new earth already yours now. It is guaranteed for you. So why then do you live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of Christ? Why are you allowing other things to take priority in your life? How long will you pursue your career as a number one? How long will you worship many? How long will you pursue living in bigger and bigger homes? How long will you make personal comfort ahead of radical devotion to Christ? How long will you go on tolerating sins which our Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed you from? Why would you shame your Savior like that? Why would you shame him who rose from the grave to defeat death for you? How long will you allow prayerlessness and lack of genuine commitment to study the word of God? And, and, and you know, how long will you allow prayerlessness is just having a lack of genuine commitment, I mean to say, to study the word of God. How long will you keep letting that Bible just gather dust at home? And now for some of you here, how long will you continue to refuse to obey the command of Christ to be baptized. Why won't you submit to his command to be committed to his local church? How long will you dilly-dally about that? I think that's the word, right? How long will you live a life that is trying to fit Christ into your worldly life and thinking, a life that is focused on the next best thing rather than focused on Christ? Repent now, dear beloved. Do not reject the plain teaching of this passage. Our Lord Jesus must have your heart or you will perish in hell forever. Oh, do not lean on your confession. Do not lean on your profession of faith. Do not lean on your baptism. Do not lean on your church membership. You must examine your heart this morning. Ask yourself plainly, am I growing to live for Christ? Beloved, let's not be deluded. There is no such thing as part-time Christianity. If your Christianity is being comfortable in the world, you're risking hell. So repent now. Ask Christ to help you, to give you the, the hunger to live for him. A Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. And when we stop growing, we stop living. 
And if that's your situation, it will only prove you were never truly converted in the first place. You are not easy. If we carry on in sin, either God will severely discipline us, or he will just leave you because you were never really his child in the first place. And my prayer for all of us here in this room is that we would truly say, we would truly answer yes to that question. Do you have a passion to live for Christ? We would say yes. Yes. And if the answer is no, that this very moment, we would repent. If we've lost our passion, we would repent of that. Because my prayer for you is that you are really a, ch- a child of God. And that rather than suffer severe correction from God, you repent now of your backsliding. This Bible passage is God's gift of grace to you. It is God in his grace saying to you this morning, this is your way to grow in true happiness. Live for Christ. Amen.